welcome back to English One-on-One. My name is Nikki Talagani. And my name is Miriam Cosme. On today's episode, we are going to be interviewing a woman named Zaina Masood. Hi, before we begin, can you tell us a little about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, a little about myself. Okay, well, firstly, thank you for having me here. Um, and my name is Zainab Masudaga, and I work as a life coach. So I counsel and I connect with people both in the U.S. and internationally. Um, I have clients in different parts of the world as I've had to move around a lot. I work with them on emotional and behavioral issues. Um, and I've both written and spoken about race. Uh, and as we all know, uh, Maria and Nikki, this is, there's no time like right now mm-hmm. I'm talking about issues of race uh, and migration. So I'm really glad that you guys brought it up. Uh, and yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, we're really glad that you came to talk with us about this today. Pleasure. The first question that we actually have for you is, what are some of the psychological struggles that many immigrants may face when moving to a new country? And how might this affect their lives moving forward in this new country and living this new life? So uh, basically, professional specialists will tell you that there is a potential, definitely, there's definitely potential psychological toll. Uh, when people migrate from one country to another. Firstly, there's the obvious, right? There people are um, vulnerable to racism. Not everyone is racist, just like not all communities are racist, but many people do face it. Uh, this is the darker side of it and, and the, you know, kind of more vehement side. However, there's also things like financial problems, looking for a job, language, uh, facing discrimination as a foreigner, uh, you know, comes in comes in many mm-hmm. shapes and sizes when you're applying to a school or whether you when you're looking for a job. Um, it helps to know what kind of challenges you're likely to face before you actually make the move. And uh, and for those who uh, for those people who are uh, fortunate enough, they can actually get professional help. You know, people who will guide them through these mm-hmm. channels as to what to do when they get to a new country. But, but you know, not not everyone is fortunate enough to get access to that kind of professional help. And just being new makes you vulnerable, makes you feel insecure. So the psychological toll is huge, mm-hmm. uh, and it impacts you, and it impacts how you present yourself to others because obviously there's a there's an insecurity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So you brought up a little um, in the answer to that question, you know, about mm-hmm. how uh, language kind of affects um, affects moving to a new country um, psychologically. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of elaborate on that? You know, what can be the advantages or disadvantages of not knowing the language of those around you? Oh, okay. Uh, well, that. Communication is key. Okay, so so language is a big thing. Um, I will I will quote my favorite um, uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, philosophers, uh, psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan, who said, "I see myself in the face of the other." By that he meant that it is the other who makes me see 
myself in a certain way. Um, and I think, you know, we cannot underestimate the significance and the huge impact other people have on us and how we communicate with them. That kind of shapes our personalities, right? Interactionism is a sociological theory that says your self-concept is developed as you interact with someone else. Simple example being you're interacting with a friend who tells you how wonderful, how beautiful you are. Chances are you will end up, you know, feeling feeling that way about yourself. You will end up thinking, yes, maybe I am this wonderful gift from above. Um, so how you communi communicate with other people, what they communicate with you, lends greatly to your personality, lends greatly to your uh, self-concept. But I will say right here, to, and I think it's important to bring this up, I know you're asking me about immigrants and about people new to language and culture, but let's not forget what we've been facing recently here in the U.S. following the murder of George Floyd. This kind of negotiation or interaction, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to people from certain communities, like say if you're African-American, you may be speaking perfect English, uh, but there are certain stereotypes mm -hmm. right, attached to being of a certain color, which are completely incorrect. Um, a black person wandering around a neighborhood may be seen as furtive or, or not very safe to be around, which is, which is just very unfortunate and very wrong. And here is an incidence of when language cannot really save you because it's the same language, but you're you're stuck with stereotypes, right? But mm -hmm. how, however, having said that, um, for other people from coming in from other countries uh, who may not be seen as threatening because of the color of their skin, but they're seen as confused or or perplexing. Uh, individuals because they're not being able to communicate their needs or wants mm -hmm. right uh, and, and that can be very frustrating if if language is not clear yeah yeah and and going along with that like frustration of like and just not being able to understand the other person mm -hmm. um what sort of like stigmas or bias are those um towards people who speak a different first language or people Okay. Um, from somewhere else around the world or different races and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I can think of an example that one of, um, actually somebody that I was working with, uh, um, she, uh, the lady was, uh, of course I cannot take names, but the lady was uh, of uh, South Asian descent and had migrated here, uh, was having issues, um, and therefore, you know, she and I were working together in terms of counseling. but. Her issue was that uh, because her English was not very good and the way that she communicated with her children was through her own language, her own native language, very often when people in the supermarkets, they heard them speaking, they would assume uh, that not everyone, again, let's, let's make things very clear, we're not generalizing over here, but some people would assume that their English not being good or, or their native tongue not being English would in some way make them less than, right, mm -hmm. or not equal. Uh, and this little boy uh, was, got very hurt because he started playing around with some fruit um, and, and a woman passing by scolded him for that. But she, all he heard, all this little boy heard was the tone, right? He just mm -hmm. heard the tone of the woman. 
he didn't and the anger in her tone he didn't really understand her words which was to say you're not allowed to play with the fruit he just heard an angry tone mm-hmm. and he just saw a little boy who wasn't speaking the language you know going on speaking to his mother uh, and doing things which were, were which she felt were not right so miscommunication can happen if you're not comfortable in a language you can feel not heard uh and and let's face it one of the healthiest things in life is to be heard in psychological terms you find most therapists will say that a lot of behavioral issues and emotional depression etc um stems from childhood disorders of just not being heard not being understood similarly language is a very very valuable tool to make oneself understood uh i also want to say over here is that you know there are long term effects that that happen um for example since you are talking to me uh because of my work as a as a therapist i just want to say that there's a there's a theory called the iceberg theory sigmund mm-hmm. freud first came up with it and many analysts and therapists have since used it um and followed up on it what it says is that one must think of the human mind as a iceberg underwater um and what they mean by an iceberg underwater is that three quarters of your brain is underwater like an iceberg and one quarter of your brain is above water like the tip of the iceberg uh the brain that is above water is actually your conscious mind and the brain that's below your below the water is your unconscious mind so you know we go through life thinking that we know exactly what there is to understand about our fears and our hopes but we don't understand is that in our unconscious we have a lot of things that are repressed that are hidden how do these get repressed well as a child as a vulnerable child if you go through unpleasant experiences then they get stuck somewhere in our unconscious um they get hidden there because it's too painful to really actively realize them what then happens is that as an adult you grow up uh and there are anxieties there's fears there's depression very often you don't know where this is coming from uh well where it is coming from is a very repressed place which has never been heard so the reason why i'm linking this to this little boy in the supermarket is that very often when we have hurtful things said to us that is a form of abuse there are many forms of abuse but that you know this is not the podium to go into that right now but one form of abuse is being neglected could be neglect because you're different you're an immigrant could be verbal abuse um and what this boy heard uh, which was not really abusive but but he felt vulnerable to it i didn't want to talk about it afterwards the mother said these kind of things it's just a small example they get hidden they get repressed in your unconscious and they make you miserable in many ways so as adults you can grow up to be to have anxieties or issues and you don't know where they're coming from and i feel that people who are since we're talking about migrants and the issues that come with that well the newness of that move 
and the fear of amongst people who you don't understand when you don't understand you uh, all those can lead to issues that get repressed right that haven't seen the light of day mm-hmm. so that that's something that i think one has to remember in terms of long term effects okay yeah that t- that makes like a lot of sense and i and i really like the example that you gave because i think it really shows like what exactly is happening i think it's a very good example uh mm-hmm. so kind of moving away from language specifically and onto like the bigger picture uh so okay. like you know i i like i know a lot of people in my like time like i've moved from place to place in the united states okay. but i was okay. wondering like you know how is that move different when you're moving from country to country as an immigrant or a refugee like what happens mentally like are there i think you kind of touched on this uh like are there mm-hmm. any mental consequences that come with that do they retain their culture or do they completely leave it behind when they come to a new country okay so so two two different things one i want to um i think i can you know fortunately i can answer that question with an example uh because i know of someone a young man uh, who came here um as a refugee was adopted here um um in mercer island in washington state uh and that uh, young gentleman has now gone on to write a book called the rohingya struggle uh with a lady called don shiller uh that this is a huge thing mohammed moved here to washington state when he was 16 from Burma um and he was 16 years old he moved here in 2016 he was adopted by a wonderful family over here a uh, great mom great brother he's very happy with them and i was speaking to him coincidentally a few days ago uh because i've always thought of mohammed as someone who's made great progress here uh and he he says that yes it's it's been great i i've met wonderful people um i asked him about language and he said he had to learn language he had to learn english for the first time when he came here and i was like oh my god imagine having to learn english when you come mm-hmm. here and then actually going on and writing a book about in it uh, so that's that's how far that you so this is like a illuminating and and wonderful example uh he said that he loved soccer here he loved track um he found people helpful and kind and i asked him about the challenges he said yeah there there've been many challenges but people have been very helpful in terms of language he said that because he was already familiar with multiple language uh languages it wasn't so difficult for him to learn and he you know i asked him i said what is it so how did people respond to you being of a different color different place uh he said people were very very um uh warm and they had a lot of empathy because they said they didn't know what was happening in myanmar they didn't know what was happening in burma right mm-hmm. and and uh, he was able to convey that to them of course he's done it through his book and i and i'd advise you know you guys to please read it it's called the rohingya struggle um and uh, by don shiller mohammed has written it with with don shiller uh and i think that's such a huge thing to come with such a barrier and go on and write a book and i and i asked him how he felt about being separated from 
his original family and he said that he missed them uh, and he thought about them a lot but he was glad that he came because you know there's genocide and he was he was saved from a very very difficult situation so there you know in those terms i can actually give you an example of someone i know does everyone come across such great examples and have such good experiences no mm-hmm. you know sadly no uh, i was able to give you a great one um you asked me about you asked me about culture did you did you say something about culture yes like do a lot of the people who moved they retain their culture or do they completely like leave it behind okay so i you know for that as you know america is considered to be the great melting pot right mm-hmm. uh people come in from different parts of the world um and and they melt that that that's where that metaphor comes in from that you all melt together under one uh one common american identity uh and that's great that is wonderful uh in a, another interesting idea is the mosaic theory that was um a phrase actually coined by pierre trudeau in in canada um and for those who don't know the mosaic theory was different from the melting pot theory the mosaic theory said that each community comes with their own culture their own rituals and beliefs and becomes a part of one whole country but they don't lose the identity that they come with so it's like a jigsaw puzzle rather than a melting pot right so jigsaw puzzle has very defined separate pieces mm-hmm. and they click together right Yeah. but but they're different pieces they don't melt in together the idea of the mosaic theory was the belief that canada as a whole becomes stronger by immigrants bringing cultural diversity mm-hmm. and i thought that was very interesting so what happens do do when people move here do they you know do they bring their own cultures with them if so how does it work i really think that varies from individual to individual i'm sure you all have seen south asians who blended in completely right right from the accent to the clothes uh to the way they socialize and yet we know many many um south asians who retain their earlier identities of wearing maybe an eastern dress when they go out cooking eastern food uh bringing in certain you know slightly more conservative values or uh, do's and don'ts inside the house in in terms of socializing or young people meeting with each other so what happens when that shift of culture happens well i i think it really varies from community and from family to family you have people melting in i i gave you two different philosophies you have people who melt in uh, the eternal melting pot and then you have people who retain their earlier cultures uh, or and and then they sort of you know they're loyal to the new country they've chosen be it america or canada they are loyal but they return retain their forefathers mode of dress conduct behavior so it's different it's different from family to family yeah mm-hmm. and um i know you were talking about this earlier and like i know it completely varies from person to person and mm-hmm. family family mm-hmm. um and you're talking about this with from the boy in the grocery store to Mohammed and writing his own book yes. um, 
But how do a lot of the psychological changes um, that these immigrants, how does it affect them based on their age? I know that you talked about this with the iceberg effect and things like that Mm -hmm. and things sticking with them from a young age. But are the impacts or does the change become more severe when they're younger or older? Or does it make it easier for them to immerse in this new culture when they're younger? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, for that, I'll say that, um, as you rightly mentioned, if you think of the iceberg theory, uh, one one issue is that when you come here at a vulnerable age, you are likely to absorb reactions which may be painful, uh, and you're unable to express them rationally because you're not old enough to really indulge in that kind of dialogue. And if they get repressed and they can cause anxiety and depression later on. Adults, on the other hand, are uh, are better equipped, right? They're better equipped to handle that kind of negative stereotyping because their personalities are already formed. I think maybe over here I should uh, mention a little about uh, the psychiatrist called Eric Byrne who came up with something called script analysis. He said that a child's script is formed between the ages of zero to nine. And then as an adult, that child plays out that role that is written and the script. Um, How can how do I explain this? What it means is that from the ages of zero to nine, if a child is made to feel beautiful, accomplished, right, Mm -hmm. worthy, they will grow up to be that person. On the other hand, no matter how talented or good-looking you are, if between zero to nine you're constantly criticized and made to feel ugly, you can grow up to be massively rich um, and and great-looking, but you will not be a happy person because you'll have a very low sense of self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. So because a child's script is still being formed between zero to nine, they are vulnerable right? They are vulnerable to (coughs) negative exposure, whereas an older person already has that personality formed. They're not in danger of absorbing those kind of influences. The flip side is that children are also more flexible, more moldable. Uh, So a child is less likely to yearn for a culture that he has left behind. Uh, adults are more likely to do that. Uh, adults are likely to find it harder to blend in with a completely different um, cultural more. Children are, you know, you, you we've seen that children pick up accents quicker, they pick up yeah. habits quicker. So both ways. On the one hand, children have it difficult because if they're unfortunate enough to be exposed to negativity, they will absorb it in a more profound way than the adult would. Having said that, a child is also more flexible, more open to change. And if they're fortunate to come across positive people, (coughs) then there are many of those, then the child will will fare better than the adult. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. yeah, that that's very helpful because I feel like it's definitely important to realize those differences. 
So yeah. uh, you kind of, you definitely touched on this, especially with your story with Muhammad, who you said moved um, and was separated from his family because he was adopted in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you elaborate a little on the coping mechanisms that, you know, some people use when they're separated from their family? Like if a wife is separated from their husband or children from their siblings, like what happens? Well, I would say that... Um, you know, a question that you rightly asked, language, significance of language. It, it's very important to start becoming comfortable with the language of the people that you have chosen to live amongst or you have been, you know, put amongst either way. Uh, there are people I come across here who have done very well with language, such as Muhammad. But there are also people I've met who have been here for years and years and are still uh, barely speaking the English language, which is not a good idea at all. So one coping mechanism is that whatever investment you can make, <clears throat> whether it's time, a little bit of money, uh, invest invest in language coaching and learning the language. Uh, we are now fortunate to live in an age of such advanced uh, technology uh, that I do know of, you know, even people who've come here through hardships and whose original families are in uh, in a refugee status in camps in other countries, but they're still able to communicate with us uh, through technology, through phone, through WhatsApp. Not all cases, but some. Not all cases, but some. So in terms of coping mechanisms, I would say language. Uh, I would say access to some kind of technology, even if it's simple stuff, to be able to communicate back home. And dialogue. Uh, dialogue is, is very important. Mm-hmm. You you see what, uh, and I'm trying to recall the name, I think it's a professor called Professor Karen Parks at Antioch University, who said that children, you know, she's researched heavily on race and says the children know a lot more about race than we think that they do um, and I, I'm sure that you ladies yourself must have been exposed to so many dialogues in these past few months right yeah uh, following the murder of George Floyd and all the mm-hmm. other incidents and they're, they're young people now middle schoolers elementary schoolers having these dialogues about what does it mean to be of a different race a dialogue which perhaps till now was not necessary but it's important for parents and, if, you know, for all listening, I would highly advocate that. Have that dialogue with your children about differences, uh, about the beauty of differences. And when you have, have that dialogue with your children, they will have it with their friends. Uh, and maybe friends who are hesitant to ask them about their culture. You know, a lot of times people don't want to ask them questions because they, they think you will feel bad mm-hmm. or, or you will feel singled out. But you need to make them feel that, yes, uh, you know, I come from, for example, Bangladesh or or Nepal or Pakistan or India. And this is what my grandfather used to eat at home, right? This is what my father used to eat. This is what my grandmother used to wear. These are dialogues mm-hmm. which people are very often hesitant to have. But it's a great time to have them. And that, to me, is yet another coping mechanism because you're bringing a little bit of your memory, your culture into your new relationships. Yeah, 
I definitely agree with that. And I know that especially with everything that's going on, a lot of those dialogues are happening between the younger generations, within friends, family, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then tying into that, one of our questions is, and I know we could talk about this for days with everything that's gone on, but like focusing on some of the key points, how does this bias from others related to race and ethnicity have an impact on people's lives um, everywhere and here within America and what we're seeing on the news and things like that? How does it affect, uh, 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 well, it, it has, it, it has huge, huge impact. How can it not, right? How, yeah. can, it, how can it not have uh, impact? And I, I'm finding it a little, I'm wondering how I can veer away from the, uh, from from the huge topic that that has been surrounding us here to actually talk specifically about immigrants, but I'll do both. Well, for mm-hmm. on on one hand, bias from others that definitely impacts immigrants, uh, and sadly, many times it's uh, it's a negative impact because people have stereotypes, right? Yeah, uh, certain cultures are maybe suspected to be thieves some people are thought to be not so hygienically uh, you know well informed some communities are thought to be not so bright um, and so how do you how do you break those barriers of of bias again i'll go back to what i said earlier language and maybe since the immigrant is the newcomer they have to break out of their shackles of fear and language and come out and speak to the uh, indigenous populations and say, oh, look, this is where I'm from. This is what I'm coming with. This is what I want to absorb. Um, I'm not so different. Right? Dialogues that are dialogues that are very, very difficult to have. Uh, and, and having said that, that's why I said I'm you know, thinking a minute as to how to uh, differentiate between the two. But given all the talks that we've heard of, Late, um, I, I'm thinking of Professor Cornell West, who said that Black Americans stand for love, right? Every culture stands for love. Something Black culture stands for love, but what has it been going through? It's been going through a social death that leads to a psychic death after years of marginalization, and they're not even immigrants, but mm-hmm. after years of marginalization of being uh, systemically, you know, they face something called systemic racism. Social death means being uh, isolated because of the social strata that you may come from, in this case, Black America, and that leads to emotional or psychic death. And it really, I, I want to put this out there, that we have to pause a minute. As we think about immigrants and their plight, we need to pause a minute and think, how supportive are we of our black brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. Um, and Professor Cornel West also says that, thank God there are people in the streets. He says, and any quote from a sign, silence is compliance, right? You see that on, on American streets, silence is compliance, meaning speak forth uh, in a different way. Perhaps not so much uh, because they're thought to be uh, criminal they're thought to have criminal intent or they're thought to be dangerous, but perhaps because they're 
their language cannot be understood, right? Uh, or or the fear that, oh, here comes another immigrant to take over my job, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there's lots of bias. Uh, and it vary, again, it varies from neighborhoods. It varies in terms of communities. Um, but the beauty of it is, the truth is that not all people are racist. In fact, I would go as far as to say that many people who are considered to be racist are actually ignorant. Mm -hmm. Therefore, dialogue is key. And, you know, we can think of Socrates' line, the unexamined life is not worth living. So examine. We all need to examine the plight of immigrants. What can we do to make things easier for people coming into the U.S.? What can we do to make things easier for people who are already here but have been marginalized for, for decades, right? An, mm -hmm. ongoing, an ongoing dialogue is necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think dialogue is important. And I'm very glad that, you know, the one benefit that's coming out of the situation that we're in in the United States is that we're starting to finally have these dialogues. And I kind of want to... You know, I kind of want to go back to the mind of refugees and immigrants when they come to this country. So when when so I've noticed a lot and I'm sure you have as well. Why do immigrants choose immigrants and refugees choose to spend their time with those who share their culture and their ethnic background? Is there a reason they kind of scatter themselves so they don't interact with other groups, but rather people who share their culture? Hmm. I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that there's safety and familiarity, right? There's there's, uh -huh. there, there's a fear of the unknown. You've landed up in a totally different culture, different climate, different colors around you. What do you what do you do? You want to be with what is familiar, and what comes to my mind is the huge influx of South Asians into the United Kingdom. Right, especially in the 1960s. I think that was uh, way before you guys <laughs> came around. But, but, but you know, you know about it. You've heard about it. Uh, so lots and lots of people, say, from originally from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, living in the UK. But, uh, you know, maintaining their own sense of dress, wearing their own clothes, cooking their own food, living in their own communities, uh, and not wanting to break out of the cultural context that they brought with them. Um, familiarity. Familiarity is safety. And and let's not forget, for those of us who, you know, as you, you rightly said a little while ago, that while you've moved countries, you don't know what it feels like to be an immigrant or a refugee. Well, imagine somebody not just uh, sort of moving from one country to another, uh, just, you know, out of sim the simplicity of choice, but having to move because they're persecuted or they're leaving behind a place with genocide or there's terror, there's fear. They don't know when they'll see their family or their parents again. So they arrive with such fear already. It's, it's, not, it's not a pleasant uh, kind of, okay, I think I'm moving from France to Italy kind of move. Uh, they, they've already come with a lot of pain, a lot of baggage, a lot of emotional baggage. So what are you likely to do with that when you come with such baggage? You want to be with you want to be with people who will make you safe. So you seek out your own. Uh, but 
I would like to think that the sensible person over time, while they try and stay close to people who they're comfortable with, they also start branching out and looking at what the newness of the country that they have chosen to adopt, what that brings to them, what new things they can adopt, what brilliant skills they can learn. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think it really just ties back to having a sense of community when you're leaving everything, you know, coming back to something at least a little bit similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of go with that and branching out, like you said, um, obviously there's so many benefits, but what do you think are some of the main benefits for refugees and immigrants to learn English when they move to the United States besides obviously just being able to like communicate with those around them? I think you talked about little bit about this with being coping mechanism mm-hmm. um, yeah if you want to go more deeply into that and some of the well, yeah that that's actually a very clear answer uh, there's no yes or no about it it's extremely beneficial you must must uh, learn the language think of the example that i gave of muhammad who not only did he learn the language but he actually was proficient enough to help write a book in the language um you know he arrived here speaking no English, fleeing from genocide, it made such effort to learn. Um, and that's how far language can bring you from refugee to writer. There is no viable reason whatsoever not to learn mm-hmm. the language, whether it's English, French, Italian, wherever you may be. Communication with other people uh, doesn't just build relationships. It builds a healthy identity for yourself. Right, and how is that going to happen unless you speak the same language, literally the same language? Um, psychology and analysts will tell you that in no uncertain terms. For us to have a healthy identity, uh, a complete sense of ourselves, we have to know how to correctly communicate with those around us, and language is going to take you there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. A lot of sense. Those are all the questions that we have for you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I pleasure from this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Not not at all. Pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. And uh, you've had a great format, great questions. Um, I've, I've enjoyed this dialogue. And I think that this dialogue in itself is a great example of what communication can do. Hopefully, throw out some ideas out there. Yeah, thank you. That was all the questions that we had. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of our English One-on-One podcast. Make sure to reach out to us through our website, englishoneonone.org, or our Instagram, englishoneonone. Also, please make sure to check out our YouTube channel. We're always looking for more people to help us reach our goal and expand our organization. Well, well that's, that's all, all for, for today. today. And see you next and time. See you next time.